unless you are one of those who has been, shall we say, celebrating early. Uh, tomorrow, we will celebrate the birth of our nation. We're going to celebrate on July 4th what it means to enjoy this country that we live and work and play in. And we should. Hear, hear me, that's a good thing. At the same time, we're doing this in one of the most divided eras, certainly at least of the last few decades. We're reminded constantly of problems, and there are imperfections to be sure. But that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the blessings of how the Lord is caring for us and our lives here and now. And it's that balance that I want to address this morning. How can a Christian, on the one hand, give country and nation an honor that is due? How can we be grateful, genuinely so? And yet, how can we, on the other hand, do that, but without taking anything from the ultimate honor, the, the total allegiance that we owe first and foremost to our Savior and to our King? Many Christians have wrestled with these questions throughout the centuries. Uh, I was greatly helped by what Matthew's gospel records of Jesus. I believe that you will be also. So why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to pick up the scene in verse 24. And that's Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 24, because it's there that we're going to see Jesus explaining uh, one aspect of the relationship between Christian and their nation and their government. And he's going to do it in three parts, three, three movements. A question, a reason, and a response. A question, a reason, and a response. starts us off. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And this is the question. And before anyone leaves a note to the office, I realize there's a, a wonderful irony that we're going to talk about taxes as we talk about our not sure what that is, I would encourage you to brush up on your American history. All right, but this is the question. Uh, the setting is uh, later in Jesus' ministry. This is soon after the transfiguration, and Christ has been healing. He's been prophesying of his coming death. He and the disciples enter Capernaum, where they're noticed by some of the tax collectors. How would you like that if the IRS were just sort of roaming the streets? Right, and they approach Peter with a question. Hey, you know, doesn't, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? Hint, hint. We're, we're owed here. Those are money. Right, said another way, is Jesus the sort of teacher who respects the government, both religious and secular at that point? Is he a, a good citizen? Or... Is Jesus the sort of rabble-rouser that Israel had become all too familiar with over the past few decades? The sort of radical who would come in and just say, 
uh, we don't care about our nation, we don't care about Rome, we don't, no, it's, it's this new world. Is, is that the sort of teacher that Jesus is? And so let's put it into a little bit of a modern context. How would you answer the question? Should Christians pay taxes to a government that spends your money on all kinds of wicked and evil things that you personally oppose? Or should a Christian dodge whatever taxes they can and undermine the authority that God has set up? And those are the stakes. We heard Dave read Paul's words out of Romans 13, where Paul himself writes that there is no authority except that which God has established. What authority did Paul have in mind? What authority did he live under at that time? It was the pagan Roman government and the corrupt Jewish leadership. And the very authorities who made his own life so personally difficult and fraught with danger. That's, as you can see already, this question brings up all kinds of related concerns and difficulties. And, and what does it mean to be a Christian and, and to enjoy this nation? And truly, we need Christ's wisdom if we're going to navigate these waters faithfully. But before we get there, take stock of yourself. Because I suspect the real question that you and I need to answer is this. As we keep reading, will you submit to whatever pattern Christ gives? If I was going to say that uh, another way, I would say, whatever Jesus gives as the answer, will you take that as your answer? Will you remove yourself from our our very, you know, sort of Western idea of, well, I, I decide, and so when I open the Bible, I'll decide if I like this or not. Or will you remove yourself from that point and instead place yourself under the authority of God, that whatever God says is good and true and best, and we must conform to it, regardless of whether it fits your politics or your worldview, Will you obey? Will you embrace what Jesus is about to teach? That is really the question ultimately here. This is where the rubber meets the road, and not just for, for taxes or whether you like or love or despise the government, but ultimately because how you respond to what Jesus is going to say is going to show something of what you believe and something of what you believe, not only about our government, our nation, or any nation for that matter, but also something of what you believe about our Savior, and about His government, and His covenanting. What then does Jesus say? Look at verse 25. He, here, Peter, is replying. He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, oh, What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, 
than the sons of the poor. So here's the reality. Christ's question is very simple. Who pays taxes? You know, with a, with a king, the question becomes, well, does the king's own family have to pay taxes? Do they do that thing? And the answer that Peter gave, which was the norm at that time, was, well, no, of course not. You know, it's part of, that's why it's good to be king. You don't pay taxes. Everyone else does. And here's what Christ responds. He, he says, well, then the, then the sons, the sons of that king, are free. And I want you to pause there. Because something monumentally important just happened with that very short response. Uh, did you catch what Jesus just emphasized? You might think that he would instead say something like, well, you know, Peter, we're not the king's sons. That's why we have to pay taxes. You know, sort of a, well, you know, this is just part of living in this world. Or even a, well, you know, it's not ideal, but the Romans came in and give a little history lesson. You know, they took over and they're levying taxes and this is just part of living in a fallen world. Those might be the sorts of answers we would give. It's not the answer Jesus gives. In fact, it's not at all what he says. Rather, Jesus teaches that the sons are the ones who have freedom. Who has freedom in this picture that Christ is giving? It's the sons of the king. Ladies, he's not excluding them. When he is talking here to Peter, he's talking of how kings and, and kingdoms are generally run back then. And Jesus is making the point that he sees himself and anyone connected to him, Peter in this case, as sons not just of a king but of the king. Now, if you are a Christian, then you have a passport that no earthly government can avoid. You have an identity that is greater than whatever it says on your birth certificate or you know, government database. Because if you're a Christian, then you are a citizen of Christ's kingdom. It's a kingdom that actually exists and one which will eventually be present and visible here in all of its fullness. Now, that's what's coming. That's what we are promised. And that means that you and I live now as, well, as foreigners, as immigrants, in a sense. That's what's true of everyone who has a, a different passport from the country they're living in. Remember the old hymn, perhaps. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Right? So it is for all who are Christians. And according to Jesus, then, this has all kinds of implications. It means that your closest citizens, those that you have the most in common with, are not the people of this world. They're not the fellow members of your preferred political party. They're not even the other citizens necessarily of this country. But instead, it means that you have a fundamental commonality with people of every tribe and tongue and nation, with people everywhere in every age who trust Jesus. Those are your fellow citizens. Secondly, it also means that you have a job. You and I are ambassadors 
here and now. That's true whatever country you and I live in on the face of this earth. Your role as a disciple of Jesus is to represent his kingdom well. His priorities are to be your priorities. His goals and values are to be your goals, your values. Your identity ultimately, not wherever your passport's from, not whatever your driver's license says, it's even true for you Nebraskans who are very proud of your state, No, if you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. You are identified in him, ultimately. And so what does that mean? Uh, does it mean, uh, seeing as we're from a different kingdom, that we've got uh, diplomatic immunity? That we just do whatever we want in this world? That we can break laws here and now because they're not, uh, they're not our laws? knew a Christian who uh, loved to speed. Like, he just really loved driving fast. I'm one of those sorts. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're one of those, but I was younger back then than I became aware of this. I didn't have quite as much of a filter. And so I asked him one day, because this was someone important in the church that I grew up in, I was like, how, doesn't God say that there are laws we're supposed to follow? And he said, oh, no, 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 those are man's laws. I don't have to follow them. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. Oh, maybe that's how it works. Is that how it works? Well, Christ gives a different direction. And said, what I want you to come away with in these verses first is to realize your identity in him. And if it's not, if you're not in Christ this morning, then I want you to hear an invitation. You are called to admit your sin all the ways you don't add up, all the ways that you've missed the mark, you are to admit your need for a Savior and to trust this King, this Savior, as your Savior, as your Savior and Son. Right? Do that and you too shall be issued a passport, one that can never be changed, one that will never expire. Right? Trust Him and you'll be part as well of a kingdom and of a nation that will never end. Here's the first truth. This we must embrace. And it's that we are citizens of another kingdom. Which might lead you to think, well, okay, well, what's that mean for us now? We, we live in this nation. We live in this country. Do we kind of just, you know, sort of build a wall around ourselves and we'll just be the little Christian group here? And you know, do we have that bunker mentality? Or, or, or what do we do? Christ doesn't stop there. So what he's going to say next is, it's not contradicting any of that. No, who we are is defined by Jesus more than whatever you'll do for July 4th. But we also have a responsibility in the here and now. And with great freedom comes great responsibility. Well, so it is. Look at verse 27. However, Remember, he just said, okay, the sons are free. They don't, they don't have to pay taxes in this example. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea 
you cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Question the reality. Now the response. As much as Jesus speaks to our eternal identity, our everlasting destiny, he also acknowledges our present reality. He and Peter, in their case, live in a land with a king and a government. A government that, as we just heard read earlier, has been given by God, even with all of its own flaws. And that government has made laws, in this case, about taxes. So what would Jesus do? Answer? He pays his taxes. He instructs Peter to go to cast a line, to take money from the mouth of a fish, and then to bring that money to pay the tax that Jesus had healed. I want to suggest to you that this is absolutely radical if we're willing to see it. Christ's point is not that we need to set aside our, our membership in the eternal kingdom. And that's one error that Christians can go. Well, you know, it's, it's just all about here and now and, and this nation. No, it's not. We have eternal citizenship. We don't, we don't set that aside, nor is it on the other way, as some Christians go, of, well, nothing here really matters. You know, it's only me, Jesus, and everything else is just kind of, you know, I'm just treading water until he returns. No, that's not the correct, faithful answer either. Instead, his argument is that he and his followers are, are not looking to intentionally cause offense, and they are looking to be good citizens place where they belong. Oh, there's wisdom here. Let me give just a few pieces of it. Here's the first. I think it's fair to say that many Christians have become extremely argumentative about everything under the sun over the last few years, even things that the Bible does not give a clear answer on. And one reason for that is that sometimes we take our cues from the culture around us. We're more formed by what we're watching and hearing on the news or in the media. We're told to have opinions about everything, so much so that not expressing an opinion is seen as the worst sort of wrong in our world. But here, Jesus directly contradicts that. There are some things in this world that you don't have to like, but you will need to do if you want to keep the focus on the gospel rather than on your own preferences. Christ's example, taxes are one of those things. And they may go to things you oppose, things which Jesus himself would not directly even support, and yet he paid them. We must also. That's the first thing. If you want to summarize it, you could say, keep the main thing the main thing. We are representatives of Christ's doesn't mean you can't have opinions on other things, but make sure that what you believe about Jesus doesn't start bleeding into things that he didn't actually say. Here's the second. What Christians are to be most known for is not our stands on politics or history, 
And did you catch that Jesus doesn't deliver a, a teaching on the wickedness of the Roman government, the oppression of, of taxes, the need for political reform? All very valid thoughts. Rome was corrupt to the core at this point. Why? Why doesn't Jesus do that? And, and not just here, why does Jesus never do that? Why does Paul not do that? In fact, why is that not in the Bible? And among all the answers, I think there's one that's very simple. And it's because Christ's mission is to speak about the kingdom that's coming. Not the kingdom that's there, then. And so take your cue from Jesus. What we need to be known for most is not all the things we we don't like or, or our preferences on this or that, but instead focus on what Jesus does spend his time teaching. It's the kingdom that will last forever. And what it means to be a citizen of it. Let's be known for our loyalty to Jesus more than anything else. Third, then, and finally, don't miss that Jesus is a good citizen. He doesn't fall into either of those two traps of valuing this kingdom more or this kingdom not at all. No. Jesus says, in essence, that you have a wonderful freedom, which is not the freedom you thought. You have a freedom to be a good citizen in the here and now, to enjoy what the Lord is doing in this place at this time. That's the freedom. It's the freedom to serve. It's the freedom to sacrifice. Dare I say it's even the freedom to give up your life. This is what Jesus did as our Savior. So as you head into the holiday tomorrow, I want you to, to think about this. How will you thank the Lord for your Savior? Friends, this is a holiday of, of celebrating and being thankful for what God has done and what he has done, yes, in our country, in our history, in our nation. Shouldn't that start with thanking the Lord for what he has done our Savior, for you and for me and for all who believe? How can you identify as a Christian who is grateful for this country? Yes, warts and all. Can you be grateful here and now? How can you show your family and friends and neighbors that gratefulness for the things that we have and enjoy should point to, should lead to, should be a giant kind of flashing neon sign, not just ending with this, with here, with our laws, our nation, our government, our history, but should point even further to the God who gives governments and nations in history, and to the God whose government shall never end and will someday be here in its fullness and we will enjoy it forever. What will that look like? How will you be a citizen of heaven even as you model what it looks like? To be a good citizen, to respect authority in the here and the now. Right? Let's make it our aim, our goal, to praise God for how he has provided for us in every way. Right? From, from eternal salvation, yes, all the way to roads and bridges and freedom to blow stuff up in celebration of our country. Right? Let's praise him for all good things that come from his hand. 
Because I sure can't think of a better way to celebrate than than what we're doing right here, right now. Today, we celebrate as we worship. Tomorrow, we enjoy a holiday that God has provided for our nation. Would you pray with me? Jesus is not an easy one, Lord. We struggle with what it means to be good citizens here and now and to enjoy the genuine blessings that you give both as as part of this country, Lord, even just simply as individuals. So often we let the blessings become bigger than you, the giver. Lord, on the other hand, then, when we do at times realize that, we we really struggle the other direction to where we're thankful for you and yet we're dismissive of the very real, tangible things that you do for us. Would you help us to learn wisdom from our Lord, Jesus? That we have freedom and we have responsibility. That we have grace given to us, and yet that grace calls us to act and respond in certain ways. Lord, that we can be thankful to be a a part of this country, whether it's what's on our passport or not, whether we were born here or not, that we can enjoy how you care for us in ways large and small even now, and yet how that enjoyment can push us ultimately to enjoy you, your eternal promises, your goodness given to us. Father, teach us what it means to be found faithful. Teach us what it means to be found 